Welcome to the sermon podcast of First United Methodist Church of Round Rock. We hope that this message offers meaning to your life. We invite you to join us in worship on Saturday evenings at 5.30 p.m. or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9.40, or 11 a.m. Each service is unique in style and format. May God bless you and your day. There used to be a, a touring Christian group that was called Danny Lee and the Children of Truth. How's that for a name? And they had a song that went like this. Jesus, Jesus, he is the Son of God. Jesus, Jesus, the precious Lamb of God. Sweetest rose of Sharon came to set us free. Jesus, Jesus, he's everything to me. Yes, he's all the world to me. Well, I grew up in the Northeast, in the area north of Pittsburgh. They're just starting to feel the cold up there. But one of the things that happened, usually about, oh, say, mid-January, all the way to early March, was cabin fever season. Uh, that's when you were looking for any sign of spring at all. So there was a day that was really nice. We uh, were on the playground, and I was nine years old, and that day I got my teeth knocked out by a baseball bat. That's why I had this wonderful design on the front of my mouth even today. And uh, what happened was we all threw our coats aside and we played a game of baseball. It was 49 degrees out there and it was the beginning of spring, at least for us. Now, that was fickle because the next day there was snow. But that first sign of spring. Well, in our scripture lesson, that sign is the crocus, what uh, the Song of Solomon calls the Rose of Sharon, which also could be called the Crocus of Sharon. So there you have the picture of the Texas crocus, right? There's also a crocus rose. And so the crocus became this symbol of, of winter, of spring, showing up in winter, giving a different kind of message. Now the setting of our, our proclamation of the hope that is here is the desert. Not exactly your place of hope. The desert, that place of very little resources, of, of oppressive heat. And usually when we read Isaiah 35, we read it by itself, but if you're going to really get the picture and the power of Isaiah 35, you need to read a little bit of Isaiah 34, because Isaiah 34... Uh, and 35 would have blended together in the scroll uh, of a Hebrew scroll. And the chapters actually were put in by the monks to help us read it later. So let's read a little of Isaiah 34. The Lord is angry with all nations. His wrath is upon their armies. He will totally destroy them. He will give them over to slaughter. Their slain will be thrown out. Their dead bodies will send up a stench. Isn't it fun? The mountains will be soaked with their blood. The desert owl and the screech owl will possess their land. The great owl and the raven will nest there. From generation to generation it will lie desolate. No one will ever pass through it again. The desolation of the desert 
Sometimes we have desert experiences ourselves. The desert of bad diagnosis from the doctor or the desert of uh, a loss of a job or uh, stress in relationships or maybe even broken and loss of relationships. And so in the middle of that, we have this message. But desert experiences are real. Uh, in the history of Israel, the desert was a place of testing and temptation where, where people uh, were kind of in a position where they needed to seek the guidance and rescue of the Lord in a whole new way. When I look back at my own desert experiences, I, I sometimes see that I, I want to resist what happens there because I know it's not going to be pleasant. Uh, you know, the, the desert is, is sometimes the, the thing about the desert that we preachers don't tell the truth about is we kind of make it look like everything's going to be wonderful. Everything's going to be great. This will be your best life now, might quote another preacher. And so you can just pray yourself around the desert. Or you can pray the desert away. Here's what I've truly discovered. Sometimes you've got to pray through the desert, Amen. You pray through the desert, and in the midst of the desert, the Lord plants a crocus. In the midst of the worst of the desert, God will plant a new beginning. God's winter rose blooms. So it's against this horrific dirge of Isaiah 34 that Isaiah 35 comes along, but it begins kind of softly. You know, two weeks ago when I was having you baying like sheep and all that kind of stuff, uh, what we had there was uh, the kind of obscurity that the Christmas message had. But today we, we lit, the shepherd for, lit the shepherd's candle, the, the pink candle, and the candle of joy. So I've got to ask you a question. How did the shepherds know where to find the Christ child? Nope. According to the biblical story, that's how the wise guys found the baby Jesus. All we have is some angels saying, go to Bethlehem and see. So we should really picture it like the Hispanic Posada, where they would have gone from house to house and said, is the baby Jesus here? And they go, no, the baby Jesus is not here. Go away. And so one of the things that we find in the search for Christmas hope is that sometimes you do have to look for it. And so they went searching from place to place. One of my favorite scholars, Walter Brueggemann, says this, Israel's doxologies, Israel de Israel's declaration of, uh, of uh, God's faithfulness and deliverance are often characteristically against the data. Our hope is indeed often against the data of the daily news, against the data of even our personal lives. So the question is, is it false hope? Let's continue on with the story. We get to verses 3 and on to 7, and here we see this picture of one they hope for that will uh, help the blind to see and that will strengthen weak knees and that the, uh, the tongues of those who are, are speech impaired will be able to speak a mile a minute and those who are deaf will be able to hear. Who does that make you think of? The miracle ministry of Jesus. Yeah, we see these words and then we see Jesus there. 
But these people that were on this march, this parade march in Isaiah 35, they're going through uh, awful times, desolate times, and they're just hoping that that will happen someday. We know that hope came in Jesus. We know that we can still have that hope. Now, it doesn't always happen instantaneously. Sometimes it takes a while for some people to see right, including me, uh, or to, to hear and speak right, uh, to gain a new way to walk and talk in life. Do we dare hope? Do we dare hope for our loved ones? You know, we dreamed it then. They did. And we dream of it now. And so the song starts to pick up a little pace, and it, and it picks up a little volume. But notice, as we go along in the story, this parade is not for everybody. It's the way of holiness. It's the unclean cannot enter it. That sounds a whole lot like somebody else, too. One who talked about the broad way and the narrow way. Remember who that was? Jesus himself. And, and one of these things about the broad and narrow way, if you're waiting for God to get the majority vote or the way of Christ to get the majority vote, you're going to wait a long time. I hope that you understand in the world you are part of a minority movement, that you hope against the data, but you are also a, a minority movement. So don't expect everybody to rise up and call you blessed just because you follow Jesus. Jesus was the master of the tipping point long before it became popular. And notice that these people are the redeemed in the parade. These are not the people who could clean up their own act, you know? You'll hear people say, you just need to clean up your act, or they'll say, I'm going to clean up my act. You can't clean up your act. That's the truth from Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. Instead, it has to be an act of God. And so these people that are in this parade are those that are redeemed of the Lord. And that means they're rescued, they're forgiven, and they're restored. God is doing for them what they could never do for themselves. When I was in youth group, there was this semi-demonic movement that happened where they were inviting uh, guitars and drums into the church. And it was really controversial. And my youth group uh, director taught me a little chorus, you know, uh, so you can add this one to the bang like sheep a couple of weeks ago. It goes like this. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come a-singing unto Zion and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. Would you sing it with me? Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come a-singing unto Zion and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. The next part goes, they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. Then you go back to the first part. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come a-singing unto Zion and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. So this became their song. 
And, and to this parade now, there's a little rhythm, a, a little dancing that goes to it. But where did it say the parade was going? Singing unto what? Zion. Well, what's Zion? Uh, it's the city of Jerusalem, but not the city of Jerusalem like they left. They were now in exile away from Jerusalem. They wanted to go to the Jerusalem of its glory. But it was a Jerusalem that was right with God. You know how sometimes we, we sing of America and we'll sing from sea to shining sea, but we're not really singing about geography. And we're not really singing about the kinds of people. We're, we're singing of certain ideals of, of, of freedom and, and openness to all and, and, and the freedom to, to worship and express ourselves. It's, it's all of our deals, uh, ideals connected into this idea of America. And that's what they had in Zion. Now, when Christians talk about Zion, we tend to talk about as heaven. But you need to know something that's different between us and the Jewish faith. The Jewish faith does not have the fully developed concept of heaven that we do. So when you're having this kind of conversation, you need to know that. And so that would have been true for Isaiah, too. They are not talking about going to heaven when they're singing unto Zion. They are talking about singing their way into a grand and glorious future. Now, I'm counting on going to heaven when I die uh, as a Christian. And, and, I, and I count on that, not because I'm any good at all, but because of the grace of God. And I think you can count on that too. But I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to march into a grand and glorious future long before that. So, there's a wonderful story uh, that's told of, of Charles Duke. And that would be uh, Brigadier General Charles Duke. Uh, the youngest man ever to walk on the moon. And uh, he went on Apollo 16. Uh, he, uh, the 10th man, youngest man, uh, now 82 years old, how the years pass by. But uh, one of the things that happened, you would think that would be the ultimate high to walk on the moon. But the truth is, as he came home, uh, there was really a downer. He really wasn't a person of faith when he walked on the moon or at that time in his life, and his wife was having the same issue, so she becomes involved in the church. Now, they now live in New Braunfels, just to bring that a little closer. And, and so they become involved in a church, and then she gets him involved in a Bible study. And he becomes, uh, he becomes a Christian. And he says in response, walking on the moon cannot compare with walking on the earth with Jesus. Sweetest rose of Sharon came to set us free. Jesus, Jesus, he's everything to me. Yes, he's all the world to me. But as we sing that song of hope in our lives and as it builds, it continues to be against the data of what is around us. In Dachau, the uh, concentration camp of World War II, the people, of course, were, were forced to work under awful conditions and in awful sleeping conditions. And, and there was this sign that was at the gate as they would go by to work every day. Let's bring that sign up. Arbeit macht frei. Work makes you free. 
a horrible lie. And so as they would pass that way, each day they would see that sign. But there was one day when they noticed amidst the awful snowy conditions, there was a single red rose that had come up amidst the snow. And as the people would walk to work, they all would walk around the rose as a symbol of hope even in the, in the worst of situations. So the prophet in Isaiah says, say to those of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear, your Lord will come to save you. Here's what the Hebrew of that really means. Say to those with a racing heart. We live in a day of anxious hearts, fearful hearts, stressed out hearts. Uh, racing hearts is our reality. But what if I were to tell you God has a different kind of racing heart to give you? One that is expectation. One that is hope. And remember, this is a hope that goes against the data. I don't know what data you have brought into the house of the Lord as we gather this morning. But if it's hopeless, if it's empty of expectation, then I want to proclaim that hope that is against the data. That hope that becomes a song in our hearts. That hope that we watch for. And then when it takes root in us, becomes what gets us through. I am absolutely convinced that that hope that comes at first sight is indeed the hope that wins in the end. And all the people said, Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for the hope that is against the data. But that's what you specialize in. So Lord, whatever folks have brought in here today, fill this place with holy hope. Hope that is real as the Christ child in the manger. Hope that is real as the Christ on the cross. Hope that is real as God's Spirit alive in our hearts. Dear Lord, then help us be to the world around us beacons of the hope against the data. In the name of Christ, amen.